Good morning. It is good to be gathered in God's house. Are you excited to be here this morning? Children, I have a story for you to start off. So, you can come to the front, and I would like you to sit in the center aisle. Something a little different. Don't sit on the benches. Just find a seat right here in the center. Come on front. Right here, right where Ailey is. Take a seat right on the floor. All right. Well, my story this morning takes place a long, long time ago. There was a group of people traveling. Now, this was before the time of cars. So I'm guessing most of you got in your vehicle this morning to come to church. Did anybody walk? Okay, no, nobody walked. Well, this group of people was traveling and they were walking. They might have had donkeys, they might have had camels, I don't know what all. But it's a pretty big group of people. They were traveling along and they got tired of traveling and they started complaining. Do you ever complain? Who do you think I'm talking about? The children of Israel. That's right. This is a Bible story. They're traveling through the desert. They start complaining. And they complain against their leader who was Moses. And they said, why did you bring us here? We're tired of traveling. We're tired of this food. They had manna that was coming from heaven. Do you know how God punished them? God, their, their complaining made God sad. And so he punished them how? What is this? A snake. He sent fiery snakes all through their camp. And they were being bit. Did you ever get bit by a snake? No? I, used, I taught one of my students got bit by a rattlesnake, and she had to go to the hospital to get treated for it. But I don't know what kind of snakes they were, but I am guessing they were very poisonous because people started to die one after the other. What would you do if you got up in the morning and there were snakes on your bedroom floor? Not a snake, snakes, plural, you went down to the kitchen and there were more snakes. You went outside, more snakes. Everywhere you went, you were dodging snakes. Would you start to feel bad for your complaining? I hope you would. The children of Israel said, Moses, we are sorry. We should have never complained. Ask God to take all these snakes away from us. Did God take away all the snakes? No, the snake stayed there. But he told Moses to do something. Anybody know? To make a snake out of bronze, metal. And to make something out of metal, you have to make a fire and heat it up. He's supposed to make a metal snake? What was that going to do for them? Was the snake going to heal them? 
No. Where did God tell Moses to put the snake? No. He, he told Moses to put the snake on a pole. Now, I tried to imagine, sometimes we see stories of a pole sticking straight up and the snake wrapped around. But I imagine he made a pole more like maybe a cross. With a cross brace so he could put the snake on. Think this snake can fit up here? Yeah. So they put the, he put the snake on the pole and he took the pole to the center of camp. And everybody was better. No. What did the children of Israel have to do? And the snake healed them? No? All they had to do was go to the pole in the middle of camp and look at the snake, and they were healed. So the snake healed them? No. Now, this is a concept that is kind of hard to understand, but their faith, just by believing that the snake would heal them, by believing that God was telling them the truth, that's what healed them. Isn't that amazing? God used a little symbol of a snake. But his point, all he wanted them to do was to believe him. And do you know what? That was an illustration of Jesus coming later. And there's going to be one day where Jesus is going to knock on your door. And all you have to do is believe. Okay? So remember this snake. As you see the snake up on the pole, Remember that all the Israelites had to do was to look on it and be healed. They had to, starts with a B, believe. Can you say that? All they had to do was believe. believe. That's right. You can go back to your seats. Turn with me to John chapter 3. <clears throat> I've entitled the message this morning, An Act of Faith. And this morning I want to see salvation as a simple act of faith. So our hearts overflow in thankfulness and works. And as we go to John chapter 3 this morning, it's a common passage. Who are we going to talk about? Nicodemus, right? We know the story. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And this passage is foundational to Christianity and what it means to believe why we are saved. And I trust this morning that we can be inspired. As we look at the cross and we look at what it takes to be saved, we can see it's nothing of ourselves but Christ working in us. John chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now you remember uh, 
one of my messages, uh, when we talk about dependence, I brought up Nicodemus. He showed his dependence, even though he was an elderly man, very learned, very wise. He still came to Jesus and he wanted to know more. He was a learner. This is Nicodemus. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. I find it interesting he comes by night. He probably wanted to hide from his peers. He didn't want to know his colleagues, uh, his colleagues to know that he was talking to Jesus. But he gives a clue when he says, Rabbi, we know. He was not just speaking for himself. He was speaking for the leaders of that day. They knew that Jesus was on to something. That he was different than the other prophets, the other preachers who had come from the past. So he was speaking for the leaders at large, but he was the one who had the courage to come. Another thing I see here is humans want to know. They want to know what's up. What's going on? Nicodemus saw. He wanted what Jesus was offering. Do we want? Do we ask? Like Nicodemus did. So he comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, you are doing these miracles. Obviously, there is a power behind you that we don't have. What's up? Tell me. Jesus answered and said unto him, verily, verily, listen, listen closely. I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In a nutshell, Nicodemus to really understand why I am performing the things that I am, you got to be born again. It's that simple. So now imagine Nicodemus. You know, we read that verse and it makes sense to us. Nicodemus never heard those words before. So imagine Nicodemus' response, and we see that in verse 4. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? He's stuck on the physical. He says, time out, Jesus. That doesn't work. How how can I go back and be born again? No, that's not what Jesus was saying. But you see, it shows how the leaders of the day were so stuck on the physical, the material, the sacrifices, the law that Jesus had put in place that they were totally missing the spiritual emphasis that Jesus was trying to point them to. Do we sometimes get stuck on the physical? Trying to reason everything out? So that's Nicodemus' response. Um, How can that be, Jesus? Keep talking. I need to hear more. Verse 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee. Again, verily, verily means listen. Listen closely. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. So Jesus says, Nicodemus, there's a difference here. You're stuck on the physical. You're thinking about being born again. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. Now, many people interpret that differently. 
Some refer to water baptism. Some refer to the physical birth being born, the sack of water, and the spiritual birth. I think what Jesus was pointing to is, yes, you're born physically, but there's also a spiritual birth, a repentance. Speaking of John the Baptist, I I think Jesus tried to speak in a way that Nicodemus understood, and everybody knew about John the Baptist who was going around calling people to repentance, and that's what Jesus was pointing to, Nicodemus. That's what it is. It's humans recognizing that they were wrong and repenting, changing. It's a change of mind. Except you do that, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Because Nicodemus, there's flesh and then there's spirit. It's different. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So, don't marvel that I say unto you, you must be born again. I'm talking about the spiritual. Let's let go of the physical for a little bit. Nicodemus, And as you read through the Gospels, I, am, I never cease to be amazed at Jesus' illustrations. He said, Nicodemus, it's, it's kind of like this. Think about the wind. Now, I imagine that they were outside for this meeting. We don't know. They could have been on the streets. They could have been on a rooftop. It was a common meeting place back then. So they were probably outside. And I, I can just picture Jesus saying, hey, do you hear the wind? Where's it coming from? Where's it going? You can't see it, can you? But you can see the effects of it. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. But you can't tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, we can't explain what it means to be saved, but we can see the workings of the Holy Spirit. We can see the change in a person when they are saved. That's why I say to you, be born again. Do you get it, Nicodemus? Do you get it, brothers and sisters? I can just feel Jesus' heart reaching out in love to Nicodemus as he's explaining this process. So after this illustration, does Nicodemus get it? I think he starts to understand. He's like, okay, Jesus is talking about something spiritual. That's neat. But time out. The sacrifices, the law that you told us about, what's up with that? Verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus, I kind of get it. But what do you mean? How can, how can this be? I'm so used to seeing material things. I'm so used to performing sacrifices. I can just see Jesus' heart of love, a smile on his face, almost a little tone of teasing, maybe. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Are you a master of Israel? You don't know these things? Come on, Nicodemus. You're supposed to be studying this. You're supposed to know. Jesus points to the blindness that the Pharisees were in. He points to the blindness that we are sometimes in. In Hosea 6.6, it says, I desired mercy and not sacrifice, 
The goal of the law and of sacrifices was to point everybody to the coming of the the Messiah. He was trying to point them to a way when he would be show mercy and do away with the sacrifices. There would be one sacrifice for all. So he says to Nicodemus, don't you know? You should know this. You studied this. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and ye receive not our witness. We've tried to tell you, but you don't listen. I have told, if I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how are you going to believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Nicodemus, we've been trying to tell you what's going on, but you don't listen. You're too stuck in the physical. And by the way, if if you're not even understanding earthly things, my illustration of the wind, how are you going to understand if I try to explain this in spiritual terms? No man can go up to heaven. The only way if the Son of Man comes down. And I think Jesus sees the need to go to another illustration. Where does he go? The snake. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, hey Nicodemus, do you remember Moses? You remember the children of Israel when they complained? God told Moses to put the snake up on the pole. Oh yes, Nicodemus knew exactly what he was talking about. In that same way, the Son of Man, maybe he used the word myself, must be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Nicodemus, it wasn't the serpent that healed them. It was their belief that by just looking at the serpent, they would be healed. That same way is how you are going to be saved. That same way is how everyone is going to find salvation. Just by believing. So Nicodemus, you remember that. Then we reach the climax. John 3.16 that we all know. But do we know it? Let's all recite it together. John 3.16 For God so loved the world For God so loved the world Nicodemus He loved you. That's what the sacrifices have been pointing to. He so loved that he sent his only son. I don't know if Nicodemus had any children. I'm guessing he did. But Nicodemus, right how you have a son, would you give up your own son? That's what God did. That whosoever believeth in him, they don't have to perish but have everlasting life. And this is the gospel right here. It's simple, yet so profound, yet so hard for a scholar to understand. You mean all I have to do is believe? 
There's got to be strings attached. No. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That shows that mankind, humans, were doomed. They have a sin nature. They were obviously going to perish. But if you believe, you're going to have everlasting life. And the everlasting life does not mean just a, a, a life that we know now forever and ever. It means a better quality of living. Nicodemus, that's what's going to happen for those who believe. You believe and you're saved. But notice the word that is used here. That whosoever believeth. You believe but it then is a continual process of believing. Yes, we are saved. Don't get me wrong. But it goes from there, a continual believing that we are saved. Satan is going to come to condemn, saying you are pe- you're going to perish. No. Continue to believe because you are saved. Do you believe that this morning? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Why did he do this? Nicodemus, for God sent his Son not to condemn the world but that the world might be saved. I did not come to bring condemnation. That's Satan. Satan condemns. But I came to save, to draw people to myself. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. I didn't come to condemn, I came to save. And also, I'm not going to force everyone to choose to believe. It's a choice. Each person has to make. What does he say? If you don't believe, or if you believe, you're not going to be condemned. You're going to be saved. You don't need to listen to the condemnation that Satan gives. But if you don't believe, he's condemned already, like verse 18 says, because you didn't believe in the name of the Son of God. Write how the serpents, or the children of Israel, were overcome by the serpents. They cried out to God for forgiveness. And God gave that in the form of the bronze serpent. But they had to make a choice. I'm guessing some of them were in their tents, probably pretty far from the center of camp. But they had to choose to maybe ask a family member, to make the effort to get to the center, to choose to believe. But when they believed, they were healed. And that's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. Everybody has a choice. If you choose not to believe, if you choose not to look, you're going to stay 
hurt. You're going to stay condemned. But if you choose to believe, that's when salvation comes. It's simple, Nicodemus. And then verse 19 and 20 describe the difference between the light and the darkness. The light came into the world, but men, they love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. But everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. They don't come to the light. They don't want it because they want to hang on to their evil deeds. They're going to be condemned. In verse 21, this is God's goal. This is God's goal of a beautiful, finished product. And this is where it ends, so I don't know if they continued the conversation and it's not recorded. Anybody that doeth evil hateth the light. Verse 21, but he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. When we are saved, we come to the light because we are now a new creature. We are healed. We are no longer condemned. And we come to God. And what does it say? We come to the light and we want our deeds to be made manifest. What does manifest mean? To make visible. We want our deeds to be visible. Why? Because they are wrought in God. And wrought gives a, if you like grammar, a perfect passive type of verb. The perfect part of it, it's a completed action. When we come to God, they are now, our deeds are now brought to the light. We are saved. We are no longer condemned. But it's an ongoing process like I pointed to before. He continues to believe, believeth. The passive part of it is our deeds are made manifest, are made visible only why? Because of God working in us. It is nothing we did. It is no merit on our own. It is only God working through us that our deeds can be made manifest, brought to the light. That's salvation. That's no longer living under condemnation. All you have to do is belief. God's beautiful finished product is that we come to the light and our deeds are made manifest before Him. And this is where I think we sometimes get mixed up. We understand the salvation story. We understand what it means, means to be saved. But I often get confused with, our de- with my deeds, with my works. I sometimes think that I need to, sh- to show my deeds, show my works, to show my salvation. That's wrong. We are rather coming to the light that because God's working in us, that pushes us to the deeds that are made manifest in the light of God. Salvation. Being no longer condemned is a simple act of faith. So simple, yet so hard for us as humans to accept this free gift. But it takes action on our part. Not everybody's going to be saved. You have to choose. And those of us who have made that choice, 
Isn't it such a life worth living? But don't forget, Satan is going to bring condemnation, but we are not under that anymore. We are in the light. As we focus on the cross and realize what Jesus did, it points to our lost state. It points to a path towards condemnation. But as we focus on the cross and realize, believe what Jesus did, we are saved. And our hearts should well up with thanksgiving. Are you thankful this morning for the saving work of Jesus that's in you? Think about your life as you look back. As you see God working in your life. We talked about being a learner the other week. Are we learning? On no other merit were you saved. Back to my incidents in New Jersey, sitting in the police department. That police should have not given me that release letter to release the vehicle that night. He needed to see the registration and the insurance that were in the vehicle that was locked up. Yet he gave that letter to me and signed at the bottom, said the person presented all paper evidence to prove that was his vehicle. I read that and I said, what? I didn't deserve it. That's what salvation is. We don't deserve it. And if we can understand it that way, we will be a much more thankful people. It's an on no merit of our own. But Jesus saved us. All we need to do is believe. That should bring us all to tears. As we focus on the cross, let's be overwhelmed with thankfulness. Looking on the serpents like the Israelites did was an act of faith, not reason. It didn't make sense. A bronze serpent bringing healing, but it was the act of faith. That's what brings salvation. A simple act of faith. No longer under condemnation. I can't explain why Ruthie loved me, but I just had to believe it. But if I wouldn't have chosen to marry her, we wouldn't be where we are today. I had to believe that she loved me. That's what salvation is. Believing that Jesus loves you. And when we believe, we can say, God, come in. Cleanse me. Save me. And I find it interesting, going from here, Jesus explained the salvation process so clearly to Nicodemus. And if you look later, I think it's obvious that Nicodemus did believe. I don't know if he believed right now, but later he chose to take care of Jesus and his body. When we are saved, it's easy to have an entitlement mentality. Oh, I'm saved? I'm good. No! We are not entitled to anything. Jesus left here, and where does he go to chap in chapter 4? He goes to the Samaritan woman. The woman everybody despised. He called Matthew, the tax collector, to join his company. Brothers and sisters, when we're saved, it shouldn't stop there. It needs to be passed on to everybody else. Our testimony, our thankfulness, it should come forth. And we should be inviting everybody else. That spoke to me this week. Somebody else invited my neighbor to church before I had the opportunity to. A worker, somebody who had come to cut down his trees. I found out this week. 
what? And here I am waiting till now. I have many conversations with him. Are we inviting other people to join us? Are we viewing it as an entitlement? We're entitled to it. We're not. Let's invite others. And as I look at the state of society today, we sometimes are worried, appalled. We want to see things different. Government, politics, whatever it is. And I see too many Christians getting riled up or trying to stand up, this cannot be. And when there's a place to stand for truth, there's also a place to let the change start in you. I read an article this week that said, the church is an organization through which God intends to change the world. The best way to see the world change for good is to experience the work of Christ in our hearts and become new creatures in Christ. Our allegiance then changes from the worldly kingdoms to the kingdom of God. We begin to change the world by first being changed ourselves. Salvation is a choice. We have to choose to believe. We all have a choice. And I trust many of us have already made that choice. But what are we going to do after that? Are we going to bring our deeds to God that they can be made manifest? Are we going to invite others to join us? Or do we have it trapped or do we keep it in ourselves? The Israelites, all they had to do was look, right? Jesus today calls us to believe. And in Romans 10, 13, it says, Confess and call on the name of the Lord. We can't go through life going to church, doing all the good things, and expect to be saved. Being saved is a verbal confession of I'm wrong, and Jesus, I need you. And if we don't make that verbal confession, we're not saved. All we have to do is believe and accept that. So I hope this morning that we can see salvation as a simple act of faith. So our hearts overflow in thankfulness and works. Let's be thankful for what God did in us. Jesus coming to earth to die for us. And all we have to do is choose to believe. And it's a continual believing process. I'm going to give an invitation this morning. I can't, as we look at the the salvation story, I can't miss the opportunity of giving somebody the chance to be saved. And I'm going to make the invitation twofold this morning. First of all, if you've never accepted Jesus, if you never made that verbal commitment, do so. And we're going to stand here in a minute. We're going to sing a verse of song. Come kneel in the front bench. Somebody will be right beside you. Secondly, those of us who are saved, looking at the salvation story showed me that I am not inviting others like I should. And if God has spoken to you this morning on a specific somebody or a specific way that you should be sharing the gospel, I'm going to ask you to talk to somebody afterwards. You don't have to come front this morning, but talk to somebody. Have somebody keep you accountable. 
Let's share the good work that Jesus did in us and invite others to join us. The world needs salvation. Let's all stand. We're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. And again, we're going to sing two verses of I have decided to follow Jesus. If you feel God calling you this morning and you want to make that verbal statement of I want to be saved, come front. Kneel on the front bench, stay kneeling, and somebody will be there to pray with you. Let's sing prayerfully, quietly, heads bowed.